Uh, we've been in this series, Second uh, Peter, uh, and uh, this morning we continue that. We, we'll wrap that up next week. Uh, we'll be our last Sunday on Second Peter. Uh, but this morning I am privileged uh, to introduce our uh, speaker who will be uh, delivering this morning's message. Uh, he is a friend, uh, but he's also one of your elders on, the, on our elder board. Uh, Steve uh, Shoemaker is a professor at CCU, uh, professor of politics. Uh, so if you'd like to know how to fix our political world, he has all the answers. Uh, he can let you know how to do that. Um, but he's uh, spent tons of time on the mission field uh, with his family. He loves deeply the Word of God. And we are privileged, privileged, privileged uh, to have Steve this morning as we continue to unpack this beautiful book. Uh, so would you please put your hands together and give Steve a Rock Creek Church welcome. Thanks, Brian. Let me also offer my uh, warm welcome to each of you here. You look so good in your masks this morning. And also to those online. Uh, we're hoping someday that all of you find a way to be able to get here and join us. Um, it, it's so good to be here. It's such a privilege to be able to serve as uh, one of the elders. It's such a privilege to be able to share God's word with you. So I'm looking forward to this today. Uh, can we just pray? All right. Commit this to the Lord. Father, thanks so much for your goodness to us, your faithfulness, your grace, your mercy. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your great uh, plan for history and for this particular time in history. Thank you for being with us, for drawing us to yourself, allowing us to know you and to actually have our lives transformed by your spirit and your word. Thank you for allowing us to gather like this uh, in very difficult times across our country. And I just ask that you would uh, help us to be able to focus on your word. Give us hearts to receive uh, what you would have us receive from this passage in 2 Peter. And commit all this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, surprise, surprise. So, it, turn out, it turns out that the Bible... It's actually an extraordinary book, is it not? It's amazing, insightful, and it's overflowing with just about anything you want to learn from it. You can learn about how to deal with children, finances, spiritual things. There's actually things about politics in there, believe it or not. There's ethics. It goes on and on. But over the hundred centuries and millennia, godly people have studied the scriptures, and they've feasted on it, and we need to feast on it. But in that process, they've really come to discover and to organize the main, like the 10 main, you could say, tables where we can feast on the word of God. And we gotta talk about one of those tables today, and we wanna talk about it in the right way, and we want Peter to lead us in how to talk about this, uh, this theological feast. So what am I talking about? There, uh, if you talk to the professional theologians, and I am not one, uh, I'd love to be, but um, they basically say, you open the Bible, and just as you get into it, you start to discover first things about God. And then if you take everything that the Bible says about God, you put that all on one table and you call it theology proper, right? So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then you find out that this God of the Bible 
is an extraordinary, of course, extraordinary, but a very different kind of being. He is a being that is three and yet one. He's one and yet three. He has three persons. This mysterious doctrine of the Trinity, and you find that uh, then you got to start talking about the other members of the Trinity, and you got to talk about Christ, and he is God, so you have to have like a Christology, and then you find out, well, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, right, in the creation account, and so there is this doctrine of this Holy Spirit, who's the third member of the Trinity, and so they have pneumatology, right, so theology proper, Christology, this stuff piles up pretty quickly, and then you find out that God is a part of a realm where there, he has a family in a different realm than this particular realm. It's a purely spiritual realm, and he's surrounded by his family, his original family, his hosts, and that's the angelic realm. And so you have to go talk about angelology, right? And then you get, to, you get all that down, and then you're like, okay, if I get to Genesis one, later on, you find out that God made us in his image. We're made in God's image. And so then you gotta plunder the whole scriptures to figure out what is God teaching about us? And that's called anthropology, right? This is, this is what the fancy people do with this stuff, right? And then you find out that God almost immediately upon creating man wanted to speak to him. Tell him, look at I made this world for you. Knock yourself out, but you need to acknowledge my place in your life. And so you look at everything in the Bible that talks about how God communicates with man. So you got bibliology, all right? Genesis 3, man falls. You have to have something about sin. Homardiology. Then God's going to save these people who've sinned. Soteriology. All this stuff is the big stuff in the Bible. And then... The group of people that God saves is church. There's a doctrine about that. There's a table where all that stuff we can learn and we can feed off. It's called ecclesiology. And you finally get to the very end, all right? And the Bible talks about what's going to happen in God's story before it's happily ever after, okay? This story has an ending in history, and it's the last times, and that's eschatology. And that's what we gotta talk about today, all right? Now, I drag you through all that to remind us just how much good people for millennia have been mining the scriptures and feeding their soul in the scriptures. There's so much that God wants to do in terms of building our theological and spiritual infrastructure, and it's all there, and we shouldn't forget that. We should really draw off of the centuries of people's efforts Clarify God's word. Can I get up? Um, but here's the thing. There are three ways you can do the end times, all right? The eschatology thing. And I'm going to say two of those ways aren't so good. And the right way is the way Peter does it. Peter is going to take us into the study of the end times in a way, we're going to say this in a, in a pastoral way. Now, um, if you've ever got into conversations with people, you've noticed possibly these two other ways. One I call the wild, wild west way. That's a nice tongue twister. Wild, wild west way. Thank you so much. And then uh, the other I would say is the never, never land. 
okay? We don't want to go down those paths. Now, what I mean by this, eschatology, the end times, is where the theological, like, hotshot gunslingers go to prove how good they are at trying to prove things from the Bible, okay? And trust me, it's exciting stuff, right? It's really interesting, but it's really hard. And so everybody basically agrees Jesus is coming back. After that, it's like open for all kinds of discussion. And that's, I don't think that's the biblical way to deal with eschatology, where you try to figure out every last thing. It's, uh, God in the Bible always gives us enough information for us to be able to trust him and obey him, but he never gives us enough information so that we can stand on top of that information and ignore him. And this is true about end times as well. So I'm gonna say we don't wanna go down that path where we're like just trying to figure everything out so that we can be really proud about all that. That's not what Peter does. The other extreme is that you find, you bump into people like this and they're like, uh, you just wanna argue about this eschatology stuff, so I'm not gonna worry at all about it. And instead, I'm just gonna love Jesus. Jesus is coming back. I don't really have to know anything more than that. And that's not biblical either. If you look at the way Peter uses eschatology, if you look at the way Paul uses it, it's intended there to have your soul feast on it so that you can grow strong and you can be the kind of person that will be ready for that final, that final time. So um, I believe I had a, a nice little diagram back there that I kind of passed over. But uh, can we go back to that? Anybody see this before? I had to sneak this in. This is one of my, the favorite. Uh, this is actually your Bible. This is your Bible. And it's uh, basically each one of those lines represents one of the books of the Bible. And anytime one part of the Bible refers to another part of the Bible, they make that loop, right? And this shows you one of the most amazing things about the scriptures is it's so integrated. And it's integrated because it's not a philosophy. It's not a self-help book. It's a story. It's a story with a beginning, a middle, and end. And the little white lines on the bottom, those are a tallying of how many times that book is referred to by another part of the Bible. So, interestingly enough, the long one in the middle there, anybody want to guess what book of the Bible that one might be? What's that? Psalms, yeah. So if this is like Genesis all the way to Revelation, right, the book of Psalms, right? So what kind of beautiful symmetry in all this, right? And it, I just had to get in there because I always debate in my mind whether the beauty of creation or the Bible is a greater argument for the existence of God, right? Both of them are just amazing. Okay, so thanks for tolerating me on that point. Okay, so um, let's do this. Let's read through this passage, and let me just give you a hint of where we're going with this, okay? We're gonna start, and we're gonna let Peter lead us into this whole study of the end of times from his heart, from his heart as an individual who knows he's dying, knows his time has come. For him, eschatology is like tomorrow, right? It's, it's for him personally, it's the end of time. And so he, we're gonna let him bring us into this topic from his perspective. And then what we're gonna see is that uh, his main concern is that there are individuals who are coming 
who are going to try to undermine our confidence in the word of God because of what's not happened yet and what's been promised to happen. And he goes, I need to deal with those people. And so he does, and he deals with them in terms of saying, you don't understand the world around you and how the word of God sustains it, and you don't know the God who sustains that creation. And if you knew those two things, you would have absolute confidence in the promise that Jesus is coming back. And then he goes in and he takes one sliver, one section of this eschatology, he pulls it out, right? And it's a very, very sobering aspect of the end times. And he, this is about the day of the Lord, but it's actually one little aspect of the day of the Lord. And then he's going to try to focus us to make sure that we're taking and using this in a way that's gonna grow us. But we're gonna try to supplement that uh, we're going to supplement that because Peter knows that his people that he's writing to know a lot more than this one little sliver aspect of the day of the Lord. And if you only knew what was in First Peter, you may not feel a lot of hope. You, you may look at this and go, wow, why are we here anyways, right? All this stuff's going to get burned up and... But what I want to do is I want to take us, hopefully, time permitting, to the Apostle Paul. And we're going to see the way that the Apostle Paul uses other aspects of the day of the Lord to surprise us with how hopeful this thing is. It's amazingly hopeful, and we can feast our souls on it. Okay, so let's read this here. Uh, if, you would, if you would stand, that'd be great. And uh, I will read this out loud, and you're... Uh, and you can listen. So this is what Peter says. This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But... By his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct? Oops. And godliness. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. 
but according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Thank you. You may be seated. All right, so like I said, we really want to use the doctrine of eschatology, the Bible's understanding of the end times, through Peter's eyes. And I thought this was really appropriate. It's just, it's just fun how God works. Um, today, we were here to honor our pastors. And is it, is it not the case that they are so pastoral? <laughs> they, have the, they have the tremendous heart. Uh, I get to meet, I don't meet with the staff, that's, a, that's larger, um, a larger group, but I do get to meet with the other elders and with Pastor Brian and Alex on a regular basis, and if you knew the, the love and the care and the burden they, they have for you, you would, you would uh, be amazed, you would really be amazed, and so just, it was so appropriate today that we're able to honor them and honor our staff. Okay, so let's take a look at this. I'm going to say that Peter, in this very brief introduction in verses 1 and 2, displays an amazing heart, the exact balance, this amazing mix that's needed for not just leading like a corporation, right, or leading any other kind of context, but to lead God's people. God has a special mix there, a special blend. And so he says this, beloved, this is now the second letter I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder to remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. And look at this here, right? It's subtle, but look at this. He's just here, look, beloved. And in one sense, I know he's thinking you're loved of God, you're loved of Jesus, but he's thinking that's not it either. It's not just that. I'm writing to you as someone who is committed to you, who cares about you, who loves you, and I want you to know that. The information I'm giving you, this letter, I'm pouring out my last words before I die. And you need to know this is coming out of a heart of love, of commitment. And then also, this is so, it's so good, it's so different from the world sometimes. But he says this, I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Notice the respect that he has for the people that he's talking to. The members of this church, he's not there to go, you need to know this, and you need to know this, and you're so far behind in all this. He knows he's dealing with people who love God, like our church, who've walked with God for years, and he's like, I don't have a lot of time left. I just want to kind of stir up in your remembrance Things you already know. We're in this together. I respect you, but I want to remind you as one of you and as you as a part of us. Right? And then look at the focus here um, in verse 2. Notice how he says he points people in two directions. And this is what pastors are always supposed to do. Points in one to the words of the holy prophets, the word of God. Pastors aren't there to be special. They're not there to be rock stars. And it's easy as human beings for us to get caught up in really, really talented people. But the purpose of a pastor is to focus you on the word of God. He says, I want you to remember 
the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by the apostles, right? And so he, pastors always with their heart point you to the scriptures, point you to the scriptures. And then also notice though that they point you to Jesus. Always, always. The one who is your Savior, who is your Lord, who is the focus of your life isn't the pastor, right? Surprise, surprise. I'm telling you nothing you don't know. It's Jesus. And so pastors preach out of love and they preach out of a deep respect for the flock and they point people to the word and they point people to Jesus, right? And from that perspective, out of this concern, he has to deal with this whole topic of the end times because he's concerned about these mockers that are coming, right? So let's think about that. What about these mockers? Who are these mockers? Um, and what are they up to? And I want you to see this, right? Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue just as they were from the beginning of creation. Why does Peter have to deal with these mockers? It's because they're undermining the church's trust in God and particularly the promise of God, the word of God, right? And this is actually, uh, it's quite interesting. If you look at First and Second Peter, right, Peter has these two letters that he's offered. And he obviously is concerned. He packs so much in. As we know, we had a series on First Peter last year, and we're doing, finishing up Second Peter here. But it's interesting to me that in those two epistles, those two letters, there are three particular groups that are hostile to the church. And this is the third of the three, right? And the first is in 1 Peter 2. And again, I really encourage you to go to these small groups. We're gonna have some questions so that you can dig deeper. We're flying over these verses, really. There's a lot here. But one of the things you can do is look at those groups more carefully um, and that first group consists of outsiders. They're not a part of the church. They're not trying to be a part of the church. And what they're doing is they're attacking the church through falsely accusing them and then persecuting them. Right? So you have this external threat in 1 Peter 2. And the, the Apostle Peter is very frank about this. He says these people are foolish people. And they need to be silenced. It's, it's very stark language there. But he also, if you take a look at that passage, he shows the church how to do that. And it's surprising how you're supposed to do that. And basically, I'll let you read it. <laughs> I'll let you read it in your own time, right? Maybe in your small group. But he says these people need, they don't understand God's perspective. They're foolish. And they need to be silenced. And the church needs to silence them. But there's a special way to do that. So that's the external threat, the first of these groups. And then the last few weeks, we've really looked at that second group, and that's in 2 Peter 2. And that second group are people who are, um, they're not outside the church. They're inside the church. This is not an external threat of false accusation and persecution. These are people that have infiltrated the church, and what they're trying to do is especially sexually corrupt the church. It's, he's very frank about this, right? And they do this through teaching false theology that 
uh, entices you to say that sexuality and, uh, is an open game and it's a lie, right? They, they tell you there are no consequences, two, and they tell you it's okay. God doesn't care. And so Peter's deeply concerned about that second group. Don't let the church be infiltrated by these people. This is the third group, all right? And we're not actually sure whether this is a kind of subgroup of the second group or whether it's kind of a third group. But what we do know is this. These people understand or think they understand the Bible, right? They talk about, hey, look at this, you know, um, Nothing's happened since the fathers have been here and the earth was created, right? He's thinking of the patriarchs here. It's all been the same, and they act like they understand the Bible, but they use the Bible to undermine the authority of the Bible. So they're very, this is very subtle, tricky stuff, right? And uh, <clears throat> so because that's the case, and it's, it's interesting too, like this verbal taunting, this mocking, we're, humans are really weird, aren't we? Like, why do we care if someone mocks us? That's worth a good Bible study or two, right? Like, what's going on inside of us that, you know, sticks and stones kind of thing, right? Like, what, why are we so vulnerable there? Just like, why are we so vulnerable when people falsely accuse us? Why is that so hard? It is hard. Peter sticks it up there and says, like, this is really a challenge. This is really a danger. Same thing with being mocked. We're vulnerable to this kind of stuff, right? So, um, whatever the reason is, right, Peter says, you got to watch out for these people, and he needs to refute them. So, let's do that. And Peter has a two-step reputation. Right? Basically, if, we, if we're thinking along what Peter's saying here, one, he wants us to have confidence in the Word of God, look to Jesus, then there are these people that are undermine that confidence, and now we gotta, we gotta hit them hard, right? Step one, step two. Step one, you gotta understand the relationship of the created world to the word of God. And then two, you gotta understand the creator and the way he views time and the way his heart is full of patience and compassion. Okay, so, and this gets a little interesting, all right? Um, if we look at what Peter says here, he says, yeah, these mockers, well, when they say this, that, like, nothing's happening, therefore God's not fulfilling his word, he's not fulfilling his promises, it says, he's a, uh, he says this, well, when they maintain this, he's pretty gentle about this, too. He goes, well, it escapes their notice, right? They don't quite recognize that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed by being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. So I want you to think about this, all right? What, what is he saying here? He's saying that the earth was formed out of water and by water. Well, you go back to Genesis 1, right? Genesis 1. And this is what he's talking about, right? But it's really easy for us to not get the full force of the meaning of Genesis 1 
these first couple of verses. So let me read them, and I want you to think about this, and I want you to ask yourself, when I look out at nature, what does God want me to see about the natural world? What am I supposed to see when I look at this world around me? Because right? Genesis 1, 1 to 3 deals with this. All right, so it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. All right, we know these verses. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Okay? Now I want you to think about this, because I, I ask students this. What is the natural condition of nature? Doesn't that sound like a prof? You're like, oh my goodness, you're killing me. Right? So, in other words... If the natural world could be what it wants to be, what would it look like? If it were just released to do what it would do, what would it look like? It wouldn't look at all like this at all. It would be a dark, watery, formless chaos. And the only reason why the world looks the way it is, does today is because Either you can think of it as it obeying God, right? Or that God is being faithful to keep it from going back to what it would be without his word. So when you look out into the world, you're supposed to see a universe obeying God and God faithfully holding this world together. And so... This is what Peter's getting at. He says, these people that are mocking, mocking the word of God fail to notice, believing that somehow God is not faithful, that his word is not faithful. They, they don't understand the created order. They, they don't see, they don't recognize God's faithfulness continually. And he's gonna preserve this until the time when this world needs to go. Right? And it's by his word that the world came into creation. And it's by his word that, in fact, this world is being preserved until it's time to close shop. Right? Okay. Secondly, then, it's not just the word of God, but it's, it's the creator God. Right? These people don't understand. And he says... They may forget the fact that the word of God is what's sustaining everything, but don't let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day, and the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not willing for any to perish but for all to come to repentance, right? God's sense of time is so different. He's not the slave of time. He's not concerned about timetables. What drives him is his compassionate heart, his longing for every single person to repent, his patience, his willingness to even kind of get mocked, right? That doesn't matter to him at all because he's above time, he's doing his thing, and he just wants people to call out to him and get that relationship restored, right? 
And if these mockers understood that, along with the fact that this world is the result of his faithful obedience, they would know that the promise of his coming is real and that the day of the Lord is coming. So let's push on here. Time flies, I think. So, yeah, so this sounds exciting, right? Kind of terrifying in some ways. The day of the Lord will come. It's coming. And at least for some, it's coming like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Right? Whew, that's a lot to think about, right? Uh, and this is what you need to hear, though. The day of the Lord is, is not a single day. It's not a 24-hour day. It is a metaphorical way of talking. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament, and it's a metaphorical way of talking about a time in which God says, enough is enough, and I am going to directly intervene in human affairs. And this is one sliver out of that. There are a number of things that God's going to do when that day comes, all right? But biblically speaking, all right, this is the way the, this is the, Bible, uh, the, way the Bible talks. The Bible uses the language of this age, this present age, this evil age, that's now. That's where we're living through. And then it says the age to come. And that's when history's over and God's gonna be with his people and he's gonna give us a new planet and he's gonna allow us to become the kind of people that can be entrusted with a new heaven and a new earth, right? And he says we're gonna reign with him forever. That's the age to come. So you got this age, you got the age to come, and if you really wanna get into this stuff, it's really, really fascinating. But there is a clear sense in which that age to come is like here in seed form. When Jesus says the kingdom is here, but he tells you to pray, right, that the kingdom will come, there's a sense in which we've got this kingdom thing started and we're a part of it. It's not fulfilled yet, but it's already here. So there is this weird way in which God overlaps those periods and he's looking for this to keep growing. But there's this transitional period between the two ages. That's the day of the Lord. That's kind of the final part of the story of man when then you can finally go into eternity. And this actually is the very last event in the day of the Lord, all right? So what I want to do, though, is I want to try to enrich this because we're looking for, we're looking for, okay, we're going to be surprised by hope here. Are we going to be surprised by hope? Or is this all just going to be about, uh, wow, things are going to get burned up, right? We've got to get to a new place. Let, let me do this really quickly, um, and I'll suggest it, and then maybe in your small groups you can look further into the details. But if you've read Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, you know that there's just lots of this kind of end time stuff tucked away in there. But there's a little cheat sheet for you, all right, that I'm going to recommend. If you go to 1 Thessalonians and you look at the end of each of the chapters, there's always some kind of eschatology thing in there, right? And in those places, that's where you find out that there's tremendous joy and hope that the, the final aspect of the day of the Lord where everything burns up 
is only one small part, right? And it's the last step before we get into this new heaven, new earth where righteousness dwells. So in chapter one, if you look at the very end sometime, the last part of chapter one, the key thing is here that we're gonna escape the wrath, right? God is gonna judge those who hate him, and we're not gonna be a part of that, right? We're gonna be saved from that wrath to come. That's encouraging. In the sec, I love the second chapter at the end. He's, this day of the Lord is going to be like a huge reunion where he, the Apostle Paul says, the people that he's poured his life into, instead of just living a life here, right? Getting married, having 2.3 kids and a dog, right? And then you build your business. And all, that's all good. But if you've been building into other people's lives, the day of the Lord is when you get to see all those people that you built your life into. Your children, your, your wife, your husband, your neighbors, all those people that you've made a difference in their life. There is gonna be this grand reunion. And then in three, uh, there's this encouragement, obviously, to holiness. If, if that life is going to be about righteousness and holiness, then... Um, then we should be pursuing that now, right? Chapter four, it's also gonna be a reunion with all the people we've lost. All the people we've lost, right? When the Lord comes back, the Apostle Paul says, you're not going to be the first ones with him. All the people that you've loved and have gone on before you, that's gonna be a reunion too, right? And so forth, he just goes through each one of these and in five, he basically says, look it, take this information, encourage one another, build each other up, like strive for this, right? Now, one last thing, there's a lot, there's a lot here, uh, a lot here, a lot more I'd like to get into, but let, let me turn our attention to one passage that I don't have a slide for, but if you turn to 1 Peter 1, to me, this is the most amazing, encouraging, hopeful passage tied to the day of the Lord, the day of Christ, that day, different ways it talked about in the New Testament. I'll get there too. Look at verse 13. If all this stuff is true, like, readiness is all, right? Therefore, gird your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit, and I love this. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I want you to think about that. From the perspective of 2 Peter 3, the day of the Lord is a time of final judgment very sobering, and finally, this earth has got to go. If we're gonna live in a world where there's no suffering, then there cannot be a world in which there's sin. And so this world has to meet its maker, right? And we gotta move on. But the greatest thing about the day of the Lord is that that's actually the day in which God's grace will be most manifest in all of history. Now, we think that God's grace saved us, right, so that God is no longer going to judge us. 
But the real pouring out of his grace is when he transforms us into the kind You know what I mean, right? We all know where we are. It's going to take a lot of grace. Fix your hope completely. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. Can you imagine? We're going to be the kind of people that aren't, that's the tech, we've been talking technical theological terms, right? We are going to be the kind of people that won't screw things up, right? Right? Like, God can hand over the earth, a beautiful new earth, to a humanity that reflects the goodness of his son. And that's, that's hope. That's great hope, right? And we can draw off that. We can feast off that truth. Oh, there's a lot more I want to say, but I think, I think we can just pray at this point. That's all right. We need to talk about righteousness. There's so much there. Uh, phew, but we're out of time. And I want, to be, uh, I want to be a good steward here, not overstay my bounds or whatever, overstay my welcome. Rookie, I'm going to pray, okay? Father, thank you so much. You are so good to us. Oh, your word is amazing, and we're so uh, grateful to have it, to have your son, um, and to know that this is your story, and you're calling us to yourself. You're calling us to this new world in which righteousness is going to be at home and we're so grateful and we thank you for that and we just ask that you would help us commit ourselves to you afresh in following uh, your will in jesus name i pray amen